0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. This is your host, Bart Carroll, along with Shelley Mazinobel, Trevor Kidd, and Greg Tito. In today's episode on the digital side, we first speak with Doug Davidson regarding Fantasy Grounds and the Virtual Table. Then Chris Dupuis and Ben Petrosaur join us to discuss the latest d and board game and entry in the D&D adventure system, Temple of Elemental Evil.
1: Doug, thanks for being here. It is a pleasure to get the chance to talk to you.
2: Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Great. <laughs> because we here at D&D, we can't resist a good how-they-met story. It so is. you have a future or a a future? You have a future. You have I a hope. future. I just want I you to I hope I do. Yeah. We know. hope you do. I'm also you're a psychic. Past, sure. She
3: is. She's a, she's a writer. She's a marketing person and a psychic.
1: Yeah, Trevor, actually, you're going to need to go to the dentist soon. That's something just popped up in your aura. Ooh. Just letting you know prob- Probably.
3: Probably true. I
1: think she's, she's looking at your teeth. <laughs> Ooh. You don't need to be no psychic. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> you I, didn't get to see my finger wave.
3: I gotta go, everybody.
1: Anyway, <laughs> go brush Doug, I'm sorry. We're a little punchy at four lost o'clock. more, I'll I'll not
4: so. what we're saying. Um,
1: but you have a past with D and D. Someone dun, dun, dun. somewhere down the line introduced you to the Dungeons and Dragons role playing game. Who was it? When was yeah.
2: it? Okay, so you know, I used to. We would go up to the local bookstore or whatever, and we would see. All the different books. That was like a family outing sort of thing. And I would always see all of the Dungeons and Dragons, like adventure modules, all shrink wrapped and with the really nice covers and all that kind of stuff. And I always wanted to play whatever that was. I had no idea what was inside, in between the two covers, but that's what I wanted to play. And uh, my parents would always say, oh, no, that's not really for you. Or, you know, I had something that they thought on the cover was not maybe appropriate for a young child. Or, uh, you know, I had scantily clad women, which I was evidently drawn to. To a young age, <laughs> so uh, it's so weird. Yeah, and no like it's strange like that. It's odd but, uh, for an <clears throat> adolescent boy to. So I, I never, never really got the opportunity to, to pick those up. But I got lucky one day. I got dragged out by my mother to go to a yard sale of all things, uh-huh. and um, I managed to spot the red box D and D set that someone, someone's mother was making them throw out, I guess, or something. <laughs> and so they had like a, a sticker price of like a quarter or something ridiculous on it. So I, of course, snagged that as soon as possible. Didn't ask. Uh, for any, any, like, I didn't have to ask for any money for it, anything or anything. And then I got home and I read through it, like, as much as I possibly could. And I learned all these kind of new words and I'm trying to figure out what a melee attack is and how to pronounce it properly and all that kind of stuff. But I was instantly, like, hooked and enamored on it. And then so I'd, I was actually the one that then turned around and introduced all my friends to it because uh, I got the role of being the DM because I was the only person that had the game. <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: That's how it happened. <clears throat>
2: So um, I spent the early part of my career or, uh, you know, experience with Dungeons & Dragons actually being the DM. I didn't really get a play f- until much, much later uh, when I started to come across other DMs. And, uh, and then, you know, now fast forward to today, and I'm, you know, still being a big kid and playing it, you know, as often as I possibly can. That's awesome.
3: I love being the big kid. Who, yeah. who doesn't? So uh, with that in mind, are you actually playing in, in a campaign now?
2: I just finished running my players through the uh, Lost Mine of Phandelver and, mm. and I haven't started them up on the new one, uh, you know, any of the new adventures yet. So I've been thinking about ducking in and joining um, some some other folks who are playing through. They're on part way through the Horde of the Dragon Queen. Um, but I'm not really sure if I want to jump into that one or just wait, and I might either to kick off with maybe the Princes of the Apocalypse or something. I'll probably probably be the DM again. <laughs> so I don't know if I'll be able, <laughs> be able to, to, to be do. the player or not yet. But
1: I think Princes of the Apocalypse is a fun one for a dungeon master. Yeah, it's definitely fun for players. But the people that I know that have been DMing it are really, really liking it.
3: Yeah, we see a lot of good feedback about you know how kind of how open it is and all the cool tools that people have for running it as a DM. So.
4: And it sounds yeah. like you've been spending most of your time doing uh, DMing uh, instead of playing. Is that, something, is that what you prefer? Do you prefer DMing over playing or, or, or do you like to switch phase. back and forth?
2: Yeah, I kind of go through phases. So I like to kind of switch back and forth a little bit. Um, and then, you know, I like to play other different types of games systems as well. So every once in a while I'll switch it up and then play something completely different for a while. Mm-hmm. But a lot of my campaigns tend to run, like when I'm doing my own kind of homebrew stuff, a lot of, a lot of times those have ran for, for like a year and a half, two years or so. And so, um, you know, those are a little bit more draining because you spend a lot more time prepping and, uh, you know, getting everything really just, just right for the players. And uh, But it's fun, and, you know, I, I really enjoy that aspect, and I, I enjoy kind of just rolling with what the players throw at you and then just taking it in a, in a completely different direction that you never thought it was going to go. <laughs> I, I find that that's really, really fun, especially if you just, like, just let them go with, with their gut, you know.
1: That's a good... Um skill for a dungeon master, I think, to have the, the roll with the punches, just see what the players are going to throw with you, yeah. throw at you, the ability to just see what happens. As a DM,
4: I always think I'm going to be like the Tolkien or like, you know, the <laughs> Puppet Master, Sherlock Holmes DM, but I'm really more like the Robin Williams DM, where it's yeah. like, oh, I'll just make something up as it goes, oh, yeah, I sure, yeah. That's
1: great. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
4: So, which do, you- which do you like, Doug? Do, you do Do you like to have lots of, you know pre-made stuff ahead of time and 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 do a lot of,
2: of work before the game or do you like to make it up as you go along? You know what? I like to do a lot of times so that the players don't realize that I'm preparing a lot of stuff in advances I like to prepare events more so than overarching kind of storylines, mm-hmm. so you know I might have kind of some stuff that I know is going to go on re- regardless of what, whether the players interact with it or not so you know the bad guys are going to be doing their stuff uh, you know, anyway, and, and that stuff's happening all around the player So if the players decide to take a detour and go do something else, then the world has changed uh, because of the player's non-involvement in that other area. So I, you know, I try to have that sort of theme rolling, but a lot of times I have kind of set pieces that I like to plug in, and I look for opportunities to then spring them on the players. And then from their point of view, they still think, "Hey, we took it in this other complete direction, and there just happened to be this whole other thing that that." We experience. They don't necessarily realize that I may have prepared, you know, some iteration of that, like maybe even like six months earlier. And now this is my opportunity to finally, like, you know, unleash it on the players because the timing is right and everything kind of fit in place.
3: Sounds all fancy. Yeah. You you do you do a lot of prep, yeah. at least compared to me. Lately, I've been like, okay, yeah. uh, here's this thing that happens because that's what I thought of an hour ago, hmm. <laughs> yeah. or that just yeah. yeah,
1: that works too. So it's kind of amazing that you have any time at all to play, because Smiteworks, your company, is not a large company, there's no, three there's of
2: you? Two, uh, there's two full-time people, and then we have um, one kind of a- official contracted developer that we that we now have. Wh- and then we have, you know, a couple dozen or so other developers who do, like, some jobs for us here and there, and, and we do that on kind of like an individual commission basis.
1: But this is—it's very impressive considering anyone who has taken the time to actually look at the fantasy grounds virtual table and the depth and the tools and everything that is actually available there. That's amazing that that actually ever gets input in there. I don't—it can't even wrap my brain around how it happens. <laughs>
4: but can you tell us the programming and how it happens? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, <till laughs> I get a pen. Could you walk us through the code? In the- yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's like those old basic program lines. You're like, yeah. that'll be really good yeah. for, for podcast material, right? We'll just. <laughs> yes. oh,
1: yeah, it's pretty amazing, though. Yeah. I remember like looking over Chris Lindsay's shoulder and he was like, look at this. And like, Wait, you want to see this? There's this is so right much. here. It's yeah. Right- yeah. everything's yeah. in there. From- every,
3: every facet of Check what you would do gonna at the Check out, we am going to have table. this monster make this attack, and then I'm going to have the monster make this attack, and then I'm going to do this thing. I'm just like, okay, that's all pretty impressive.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, not- obviously, oh, sorry. Go on. Yeah.
2: No, I was just going to say it's, it's something that yeah, it does take a lot of time and effort to obviously get that stuff in there. But we were kind of lucky. Like I wasn't one of the original creators of Fantasy Grounds. I actually purchased the company back in 2009, and then the other owner, John, I brought him on in 2010. So uh, before then, it was actually developed originally in 2004 by three guys out in Finland. And you know, I felt like I had a software development background, and I had a software uh, consulting firm that I had at that point in time and uh, I was an end user for a little while really fell in love with the program and and I fell in love with how easy it was to extend it and to continue to add my own kind of like new rule sets and add new content and all that sort of stuff and I I kind of felt like it could go even farther than what it was so I reached out and, and asked if they'd be interested in selling the company and they weren't originally and then you know through some kind of going back and forth I eventually was able to get it but uh, so a lot of the, the reason why it's able to do what it does, I have to give full credit to um, you know the original creators. They had just a really brilliant kind of architecture that really allowed us to then take it to this level and then those. kind of expand on and then yeah, those fins they're really right. good at, at
3: uh, coding
4: architecture
1: and vodka
3: yeah and vodka well, yes all <laughs> your all your stereotypes about coding and vodka over here <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so why don't you tell us? what some of the highlights are when you're playing D&D on the Fantasy Grounds virtual table. How, how does it work for the user?
2: Okay, so we kind of focused a lot on the DM side of things, and you know that's not surprising that that's the type of product that I like. <laughs> you know, it's that uh, It allows me to do all the sort of stuff that I really love to do when I DM, and that's to prepare my campaign and to have all this stuff linked and, and ready to go so that when I'm actually running my game that it runs as smoothly as possible. And, and then John has really taken it and enhanced the, the kind of the core engine and the rule set to be like really really strong at at doing uh, different types of automation. And then you know once you get into especially higher level play, when you have every type of monster has like ten different resistances and special effects and abilities and all this different kind of stuff, it becomes very very challenging to track all that. Like when you're running just in a face to face game and. And so that's why we really wanted to try to make as much of that automated as possible so that when you do an attack, like a fireball attack, and someone has, like, resistance against fire, then it'll automatically help, you know, apply that for you so that you don't have to remember all of those different things. And then uh, so just we keep trying to add more and more of that sort of functionality and feature into it. And, uh, you know, and aside from that, it has the other sort of basic virtual tabletop sort of functionality like the sharing of the maps and revealing kind of fog of war and, and that sort of stuff. And um, you know, so just just trying to make it simple for you to have everything at your fingertips is kind of the main main key and highlight that I would focus on.
1: So if I were to cast, <clears throat> say, burning hands, would it would it show me where my the area is that I was burning?
2: So so basically, we don't have it preloaded with <clears throat> the size of the area effect, but we have like a really cool like area effect. Um, tools where you can basically draw out the templates of different sizes and then you can spin it around and then that very clearly shows you and and when it's on a map that has a grid loaded on it it'll actually highlight only those squares that fall underneath the template so you That's no longer get in, into that whole thing about oh is it is it in is it out oh it's clipping the edge or you did know I this or that or whatever. Or did I accident?
3: Yeah, well, you'll you'll be on purpose. There, there'll, be, there'll be no like oh I accidentally got Trevor. Oh, it's like you clearly God, saw I that I was
2: in. There. Is
3: there a way I
4: could move around to make sure
2: I get Trevor in this? <laughs> <firework>? <laughs> yeah. I see. Well, we're gonna nice. have a feature that automatically moves Trevor into the middle of every. Oh. Episode, <laughs> sold. So. <laughs> so you, just,
3: you sold just at least like five or six people on, on, yeah. on fantasy grounds. Yeah, just
2: just tell us what his usernames are. <laughs> and we'll make sure we code
3: that. No, we're not we're not going perfect.
4: That's, that's the benefits.
2: Of, <laughs> that's um, the
4: benefits of having someone who's actually doing the coding to do all these pranks. Uh, I love yeah. this. Oh There's going to be yeah. some
3: special message every time I log in. It's going to be great. You're
0: like, and, "Good morning, Trevor." Yeah, oh, and not we're only, going only to kill that. You.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Good morning,
1: Trevor. <laughs> yeah. If Greg ever opens with "Good morning, Trevor," like that, just yeah, go it's away. Just, no, just leave. It's a bad, go bad day. Go to HR. But I mean, it's also you're obviously a and player and dungeon master and fan, so, you know, you you are essentially who you're designing for, so it's it's really cool to have you at the helm of this.
2: Yeah, I mean, we, we're always pushing pushing ourselves, and and nowadays, uh, I don't spend as much time on the, the core coding aspect as much as John does, um, but so now I've kind of changed a little bit since I'm managing more of the business sort of side of things, and I do some coding here and there, so I just throw all these ideas, hey, wouldn't it be cool if I did huh. this or that or whatever, and then John curses my name for a while, and then... Yep comes back and says, okay, we'll try this and see if this works. And then, you know, we go back and forth. So that's kind of how we iterate over, you know, the various ideas and, and thoughts.
1: Is John like, in your D&D
2: game? Sorry. Uh, No, he's not. He's actually over in your neck of the woods, which we, he should be in my D&D oh. game. We just haven't, you know, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we do beta testing and stuff with each other, but I don't know if he would trust me as a DM. He knows I'd probably kill his character. Yeah, I mean, maybe
1: that's not good. You guys work so closely together.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah, would be yeah. like if Laura was running a game for me. we be like, I don't, I don't want to upset Laura that way. Uh,
1: Sure, I'll just take that damage. Yeah, whatever. I was <laughs> surprised at how I much, never... how
3: much guff we give Chris in our games. It's like, you guys work with him, man. Come on. Yeah. I
1: know he doesn't no. hold it against us though. It's no, no. Another good trait of a Dungeon Master.
4: There we go. That's true. You can't take things personally as a Dungeon Master. No, you really can't. Yeah. So, Doug, how, can you talk a little bit more about how uh, Fifth Edition content is integrated within the tabletop itself? Like, how will people? You know, now that that we've been working with you for the last, uh, you know, it's been released for the last month or so. But uh, uh, how will people who uh, uh, purchase the packs and stuff be able to to look at monsters and 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 spells and and all of the the rules that
2: are baked into fifth edition? Sure. So, like uh, the complete core monster pack, or any of the sub packs that are you know have subsets of monsters. So that basically provides. A, you know, a list and, and multiple different lists. It actually has it by challenge rating, uh, just alphabetical, and uh, by the creature type as well. And then you can very quickly, like, you know, pull it up and do a search. Like, anything that has the word fire in it or goblin in it or whatever will very quickly narrow it down. And then you can drag those over to your own encounters. And then uh, they have the tokens preset form. Based off of the image that's in there, they've got the full description from the monster manual that's there at your fingertips. So you just flip over to another tab and it has it all there. And then you've got the image of the creature that you can then open up and share it. So instead of like turning the book around and saying, "Hey, look at everybody! You know, this looks really pretty cool," you can just share that with the players, and then they can look at it when they're done with it. They can just close it off of their screen, and then um, you know, then it has all the stats kind of preloaded in too. So. Any of the attributes that you want to run if you need it to make a dexterity check or intelligence check for a monster or a saving throw or whatever, it's all just like a double-click kind of an interface along with all of their attacks and special abilities and that sort of stuff. And so one of the things that I'm really excited about that we're getting ready to roll out now is that uh, previously we used to have, you know, there's a lot of like really cool monsters that have either innate spell casting or just, you know, pure spell casting because they're also like wizards or... Sorcerers, or something, and it would list, you know, in the monster manual, list all the different spells that they know, right? So now uh, we've modified that so that in addition to that, it'll actually have those spells preloaded in so you can drag and drop those attacks at the proper, like, uh, saving throw DC against the targets. Um, and then you can also do the same thing with the damage and that sort of stuff, too. So it's just one more step that instead of having to then go back to another source and saying, okay, so what does this spell do? When you drag it into your combat tracker, and it you know it puts them in the initiative order. When their turn comes up, it'll have like a list of all all of their main attacks. Like here, I can you know the lich can touch you and drain drain you with its cold energy, or it can actually you know cast a fireball spell, and then you just target all your all all the players that are in the area of effect, and, and have it automatically roll against the Lich's DC, for instance.
4: And I saw you uh, uh, do a demo uh, with these new features. I think you had the dev version of, of Fantasy Grounds open, and were showing us this, and it, it looked awesome. It was just very seamless for, for a DM. You wouldn't even have to bat an eye. You're just all of a sudden dragging and dropping stuff and things, and just concentrate on describing the battle and and, and you know the emotional beats of the fight rather than have to worry about the, the nuts and bolts of the
2: mechanics. And I think it's awesome that, that Fantasy Grounds gives you those tools. Exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, the thing like the Lost Mine of elver all the adventure modules uh, are really, like, ready-to-run sort of adventures that, you know, you read through it just like you could, like, in a, you know, the printed mod- module, but then now you've got the maps already kind of resized with the grid laid over top, and uh, each of the rooms, whenever you enter that room, the DM can very quickly see what's in each of the rooms coming up. You know, click a button, pull up the full description of it, share the box text with the players so they can read it out loud when, they, you know, or they can, you know, read it simultaneously with the DM, kind of paraphrasing it and rewording it himself or herself. And then, you know, same thing with the treasures. You just drag and drop the treasures, and then you can share that with the players, you know, once they defeat that encounter and they've looted the room and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, just things to help make the game run a lot faster and, uh, and to reduce the prep time for people that really want to run those pre-done adventures.
4: I wish I could drag and drop treasure in my real life. Just yeah. That would be great. Yeah. yeah. Like, boom.
3: Making so, it rain. So I know we've got lots. <laughs> <laughs> can, can we make it rain now? That'd be great. Yeah. Can we make
4: It'd it be rain? Cool. Like, that'd be in great. Seattle? Can we make it rain? You
1: <laughs> could drag and drop like, people's <laughs> lunches. Like, I just feel like, see, Craig's spaghetti looks really good. Pizza. <laughs> yeah, your pizza today. Pizza People were
2: coveting So now. really,
3: we all wish we had psychic powers. That's yeah. what yeah, we're yeah, saying no. here.
2: Yeah. The problem is when you try to divide Craig or Greg's, you know, spaghetti to six people. It's 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 messy. You oh, know? Someone true. gets more yeah. than somebody else. We, we need some
4: kind it. of replicating technology.
1: Yeah, to uh, clone uh, you
3: Clone it. my spaghetti. <laughs> so we need a suite of powers now. I think we. We've, we've <laughs> Can get
2: you on work that? on
1: that for us, Doug? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably something you yeah. could whip up.
2: I'll suggest it to John. You know, and there you go. He it to John.
1: <laughs> Sorry, John.
2: <laughs> I'm seeing how this relationship
4: works. I like it. We
1: need a. Oh, never mind. That was gonna come out really <laughs> weird. I'm glad you stopped yourself there. That was great.
4: Wow. great.
3: <laughs> Shelly needs no, no. a <laughs>
1: job.
3: That was awesome. Um, so ba- back on topic. I know we've got. I know we've got a lot of things, a lot of offerings, actually, D and D offerings on uh, Fantasy Grounds now. And for new people, it may be a little like daunting seeing all this stuff going on. Um, can you? A couple of different things. Can you go ahead and. and give us an overview of what DD products are on there and then like what that means as far as like licensing and subscriptions and how all that works yeah
2: sure all right so there's a couple different like tiers of the fantasy ground software itself um, the probably the simplest things is we have two different subscription models we have a basic standard subscription which is like four dollars a month that allows you to get in you get all the assets and all the functionality of fantasy ground nothing is really limited the only thing that's different is that you need to have your players when they connect to you they have to have their own license as well and then the only other option that we have have uh, on the subscription models we have a ten dollar a month which the GM gets that we call that the ultimate subscription and then the players can all connect for free using like a demo license uh, regardless of which one of those licenses you have any products that you have like if you had the Lost Mine of Pandelva or whatever your players don't need any of that sort of stuff to play and to participate in the game and in fact any of the class pack stuff the, the DM can actually share that so that when the players connect they can build their characters online uh, using any of those resources within that campaign uh, and then so for the player side, um, you know, we have a lot of different things that are, the main thing is kind of what we call the complete core class pack. And that pretty much gives you everything that you would get in the player's handbook, in addition to like a whole bunch of like uh, D&D portraits that we were able to kind of like uh, work with, with uh, you guys to, to pull together uh, that are, you know, specific to different classes and races and all of that sort of thing. So it has all that sort of stuff in there. And then what that gives you is that, You've got all the spells that you can drag and drop to your sheet. you got your uh, your weapons and your armor and special abilities, all that sort of stuff. It, it has that same sort of drag and drop kind of mentality with, with your character sheet. And then you can build your characters that way. You can actually build a character without any of that stuff, just like you would in paper. And you just write, okay, I'm a fighter, level two, three, four, whatever. And you can still kind of like key in all those things. So if you have like a yeah. fighter specialty at level two, you just type, okay, my special ability is fighter, uh, you know, uh, defense specialty or whatever and then you've got your if you've got your book there then you could just you know use that and, and apply it what the packs give you is they give you when you drag that out that over it, it puts like this little dragon uh, head icon from the the D&D from the ampersand basically uh, you click on that and then it gives you the description that's that's right there at any point in time in the game so it loads it up and then with the spells it preloads it in so it it'll automatically you know figure out what the DC needs to be what the damage is that sort of stuff. So it just saves you time if you want to go that route. Uh, and then on the DM side, the same sort of thing, the monster packs. You can, ki- you can enter in all your own monsters if you want, and you can create your own monsters. There's nothing saying that you can't, you know, just open up your book and make something based off of the troll. It's just, if you want one that's already everything preloaded for you, then you could buy those individual packs. And then you've got all the tokens and the graphics and stuff to go with it in addition to, the, to all the text and the stats. So it's really, we, we tried to subdivide it so that if you buy the complete pack, you get everything basically that comes with that. Or if you only wanted to buy a sub pack. So, you know, one of the big things is like the D&D basic rules is, is like a $3 add-on and it has like 120 spells. It's got like four classes and four races preloaded in weapons and armor. It doesn't have like the portrait packs um, you know, but you could add your own portraits into the program very easily just by dropping an image into right. your portrait folder. So, you know, I, we try to subdivide it as much as possible. Some people have said, I noticed online, and this was kind of like a, a, a little uh, weird decision that we had to make about some of the class packs. Because obviously there's there's four classes already in the D&D basic pack. And those are basic versions of like the cleric and the fighter and the wizard and that sort of stuff. But there's extra archetypes in the full rules. So. We still have a separate fighter pack and a wizard pack and, and uh, you know, cleric and rogue. And those add that extra information that's in there in addition to, like, the portraits and stuff. So that's why you'll see, like, the pricing is a little bit different. Those are only going to be, like, $3 if, you, if uh, i think they're, like, $3 each or something like that right. uh, for those, those specific items. Whereas other classes uh, typically are valued a little bit differently depending on whether or not they have a whole bunch of spell data that goes with them or not. So—
4: and What I like about the pack st- structure for for this is that you only need to buy what what you specifically need for that you know session or, or or campaign really. So like if if you're a player and you really wanted to delve into the fighter, like for example, that was what you were saying. Like yeah. you would get the fighter pack, you'd spend three bucks, and that's all you would need. You didn't need to spend the fifty bucks on the entire player's handbook like that you, that you would if Correct. you were a player. You know you don't. You're only spending a small amount, and then you know you you get to decide whether or not you want. To play your license or to do a, a subscription license, so you'd be out eight dollars to play in a player. Only if you wanted to uh, work on your character offline, away from your DM. And if you, if a DM has an ultimate pack, and you know you wouldn't even need that that player license. Is that that's right too, right? Correct.
2: That's yeah. correct.
4: Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of open options, and I think uh, there's ways to to play D and D without spending a, a tons of money. Yeah, absolutely. Through for, through uh, uh, Fantasy Grounds.
2: But you can yep. if you want to. But you can. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there are going to be people who, uh, uh,
4: you know, who, who want to collect it all to yeah. a certain extent.
2: Well, I will say that despite, you know, some of, of the comments that, w- that we saw when we first launched about, you know, various pricing things and, hey, I've already got the books and that, uh, we, we see, you know, a lot of people, the, probably the, the main purchase that we see is people buying everything. Like they buy the full full out, you know, complete core pa- pack, uh, class pack and the monster pack and they'll oftentimes throw, throw the Lost Mine at Pandelver on there as well so uh, that is definitely a good value for the money because it has I mean just the tokens alone if you were to look at you know standard pricing on virtual tabletop tokens uh, I mean that's worth the price of admission right there and then you get all the other stuff kinda of preloaded so and, and people that have bought that uh, you know we're getting really good feedback about okay well I didn't realize at first what I was getting when I when I I thought I was having to pay twice for the same content and now I realize Hey, this is this is really really useful, and this is you know absolutely worth the time savings it would take me to like put this stuff in myself.
1: That's great, Doug. It's a good value all around. Great love tool. It. I love it. Yes, we are big fans of it here, so we do appreciate you taking the time to talk to us more about the virtual table and fantasy grounds. And um, I know that your website actually has some really great resources for people who want to learn more about the virtual table. You have some. Um, there's tutorials and FAQs, and where where should people go? What's the best place for them to to go to if they want more information about the table and how it works?
2: Yeah, so the the best thing to do is just if you go to our fantasy grounds uh, page and then you go to the downloads page, just pull down the where it says all licenses that has the demo license, and then when, as soon as you launch that, we have links to various uh, videos that you can then click to from there. And, and for me, I like to watch. You know, I, I'm a you know I prefer to like watch a video and then work along, you know, alongside it and then try it out at the yeah. same time. And then, you know, that for me is always the best way to learn. So, uh, you know, if that's also your style, then I would say the videos are there. We have like a wiki page as well. And then, you know, just engage people on the forums. You, if you have any questions whatsoever, we have like an amazing community. And I think that's part of, uh, you know, the reason why we were able to, to get get this partnership in place because, you know, we already had an established community and, and they are very you know welcoming to new people coming into the game uh, and, and learning how to play and that, that sort of stuff. You know, a lot of them have ultimate licenses. So we've got a ton of people who have ultimate licenses. And, and I'm always surprised and, and a little bit humbled by how often those people will say, hey, I'll, uh, I'm going to have a game and just let anyone come in that wants to do it and I'll show you, you know, I'll, I'll answer questions. I'll show you how to build a character. Oh, I'll walk really cool. you through oh, it, really you know, nice. all that sort of stuff. And, and these are just completely volunteer... Uh, you know, users in our community. So, um, you know, I very that's much, awesome. very that's much. Would like spirit of D&D too, it of is, like yeah. how
4: DMs always want to just be like, hey, we'll teach you how to play. It's not yeah. hard and just come to a session and it's cool that that tradition has uh, continued on uh, with the Fantasy
3: Grounds community. Yeah, it's a pretty Thanks. cool welcoming community. It's been awesome just to watch people do exactly that. Like, hey, I'm going to come play a game. Like, I'm going to teach you everything. Like, that's pretty awesome. That's awesome. Exactly. d
1: players are the nicest people.
2: Yeah. In they really are the best people, especially listeners you know, of the podcast. <laughs> I think when I first moved to Illinois, I was in a, I was in a game store and I was looking. at, It was actually like a weird hybrid store where it had like pets and then like railroad, like model train stuff, and this then is it like, had like a This like, is like my dream store. Yeah, no, no. yeah. Are you sure store? It wasn't had like all story? this kind of like hodgepodge hobbies and everything all thrown together in one big thing. But they had like you know hodgepodge a bunch of like figures and then they had D and D products and stuff like that. So I was looking through like the shelves of those things and then uh some guy just randomly comes up and starts talking to me about how oh, do you play D and this and that and whatever and then you know he invited me to his game like later that week or something and i went and ended up becoming like good lifelong friends with this guy and you know everyone else in the group and and that's what i really like about D in general is just like uh it's just such a, a good social yes you know it brings people together thing, you know it's, it's just bonding yeah and I will say the friends that you make in that kind of a game, uh, you know, it's, it's way better than, than any other avenue of meeting people, in my opinion. I mean, I've, each, of the, each of the people I've game with, I now consider, like, oh, they're lifelong friends, with maybe the exception of maybe one or two people.
5: There's always a one or two. It's
4: definitely, definitely better you know, it's at forming relationships than, like, say, online dating or something like that. Well,
5: yeah. <laughs> uh,
3: that's a pretty, pretty bold claim. I, I, I think we need to have D&D online
1: dating. Maybe now, though, instead so. of speed oh dating, gosh. they D&D, should do...
4: Tinder.
3: Oh, yeah, D&D Tinder. Swipe yeah. right to go on an Avenger. I don't know. Um... <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I think Trevor has thought about any, this. Any, we anyway, gotta
3: on that. we got to get John on making that. All
1: right, yeah, talk to John about that. <laughs>
3: so yeah. yes, for everybody that's listening out in in uh, our little podcast land, that is uh, fantasygrounds.com is where we're talking about going to learn more information and pick up all this information. Doug, it has been awesome, awesome having you on. It's always awesome to hear cool stories, and the, the fantasy grounds community is great. So thank yeah. you for thank you for joining us, man. Yeah. Thanks, Doug. Thank
1: thank Thanks, you. Doug.
3: So, gentlemen, one of the first things we always like to ask once people are on the show uh, is, I know everybody out there has heard it. You're going to hear it some more. Uh, tell us your stories of how you and D&D first
5: met. <laughs> no, Chris first. <laughs> well, Chris. I'm lead now the I'm charge. on the spot. Yeah, you are on the spot. Bam.
3: We, I can talk a little bit more. I, I do that a lot. I can just sit here and waste space. wait, oh, right, no, seriously, Chris, tell us your story.
6: Uh, interesting. <laughs> how D&D... You, all right, so I guess that was a question I was supposed to prep. Ooh! Wow!
4: If that's oh. the
0: if that's the question that's stumping you, this is going to yeah, be yeah, a we're tough in trouble interview. We, prom-
3: we, 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 we promised him it would be all, all softball questions. Now, <laughs> you know, I
6: can rephrase it. I it can't would just be like,
5: any The than email that. said hard question.
3: Yeah, they not say hard
5: hitting. You're right. Very hard
6: hitting. Uh, no, I started uh, I started playing D and D back uh, in the mid '90s in my brother's uh, 3.5 campaign, uh, and I. Older brother, younger brother? Younger brother. Oh! Right. It's
1: almost always I mean, the older brother. There's something new
6: there. No, yeah, my, my younger brother, who is a hardcore fan and fan, actually got me into the game. Uh, so, hey, Brian. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, I played in uh, a couple of his campaigns here and there uh, throughout the years, and uh, when I came here to Wizards to work on board games, it sort of reignited my love for D&D.
1: So were you, you were just into other games, not maybe... I'm just trying to figure out, like, your brother's the hardcore D&D player, and you end up here at Wizards of the Coast? Shh, don't tell him. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he, he doesn't, still doesn't know Chris where you work, work still? <laughs>
3: I work down at the, at the
6: Starbucks, local Microsoft. Starbucks, and it's, Starbucks. it's yeah, great. It's great. Right. <laughs> uh, no, I was, I was into more tabletop games, board games. Okay. So...
1: And you used to work at Hasbro, right?
6: I did. I worked in customer service at Hasbro for three years.
1: Do they really have a robot that delivers mail? They oh, do? sorry, Bart. That's, uh,
3: that's, Bart, What? We, uh, the I'm one sorry. thing I know about Hasbro. That's all you did know too. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, Bart. You know more things about Hasbro. <laughs>
6: I, and, well, that's the one
0: thing that always pops first into my mind.
6: Okay. No, both buildings actually have uh, a robot that's on some sort of invisible track around the building. And it just goes from department to department, and it stops there until the person that is in charge of the mail for that department goes over to the robot, takes their mail, and puts the outgoing mail in, and then it just goes <sighs> to the next stop. It's the
1: coolest okay, thing ever. I'm actually kind it's of totally
6: excited. 80s technology, though. Take well, that, Google. Look,
1: you can actually give it your outgoing mail. Oh yeah. Like instead of hey, yeah, you don't have to run, run downstairs down or all, all four flights of stairs. Yeah, no, it's
6: too far. Too far. <laughs> He'll stop. He'll just come visit. I don't remember what his name is, though, or her name. I think it had a name. I'm sure. Now hmm. I think
3: I heard its feelings. Why don't we have a mail delivery
0: robot?
1: I don't know. I'm just saying. Hasbro gave us half day Fridays, but they didn't give us a mail <laughs> delivering robot. Uh,
0: how about Ben? How Hi, did you, you get your start in Dungeons & Dragons? Ben? Now, now uh, that you've heard all about right. robots yeah. and mail and exciting things.
5: I can't tell if that was real or not. <laughs> um, See, oh, it's real. I don't live it's in like you. I live in. Um, I, uh... I didn't get into uh, D&D until pretty late. Uh, I played mostly electronic games when I was growing up. And wasn't until I got into college in DigiPen at uh, up in Redmond, where I was introduced to tabletop RPG games. I started with a couple of other systems until a friend of mine uh, introduced me to D&D and we did a short, like four episode, uh, fourth edition Campaign that uh, was uh, just had me fall in love with the whole thing. Um, playing a barbarian is always fun.
3: <laughs> Wait, what are you playing in our in, in the games we just finished up? Oh, I was um, I was, I was the Oliver. Was, was he a, a barbarian as well? No, he oh. was a rogue monk. Oh, that's right. That's right. Sorry, I, right, tr- I got I a little to,
5: sidetracked. I try to fit barbarian into that build, but uh, <laughs> that's a whole other story. <laughs>
3: we have a whole podcast dedicated to that. Everybody. Yep.
5: So your
0: titles are both Game Designer, is that correct? Yes. Yep. Okay.
3: <laughs> you, you looked worried there for a second, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I think my title's still Game
6: Designer.
0: Isn't it, yeah, is it like major stomach.
3: Domo Game Designer? I think it's like the whole... I wear a different hat based on the hour, so... That's true. You, you guys do a lot of different stuff down there, so I can <laughs> understand that.
0: So in the context of Temple of Elemental Evil, what, what does that mean, Game Designer? How did you sort of come to the project? Did you have any parameters? Were there things that you particularly wanted to add to take away the Adventure System game for this for this release?
5: So um, the way it started was another designer, I'm going to put the spotlight on him, Peter Lee, who's a really smart guy, really good designer, he's downstairs. And he goes, I want to do uh, another adventure system game, because uh, there are a few ideas he had that he didn't implement in Legend of Dritz. And uh, my manager said that that's not a one-man job. And, Probably and so I jump and he goes, Ben, do you want to do it? And I go, Yes. Uh, and that so, was a silly question. Yeah. That that was it's a long story and I just did it. And so uh <laughs>
3: it's a long story. Uh, and I just did do it? I'm done. There you
5: go. Uh, so you can drop the mic. So Peter and I I <laughs> yeah, can actually. Can it's do. on a stand. So um, so, yeah, Peter and I basically worked together on the, the initial designs for Elemental Evil. Um, I did a lot of the adventures, a lot of the cards, a lot of the encounters and monsters. Um, and then once I got a sort of shelf for that and everything, I just play tested it a lot. Like a lot, lot. Until I got tired of it, and then I play, tested it some more. I, that's, and that's pretty much how it works.
6: By the time man. I came in, he was
5: a broken man.
6: <laughs> I was pretty tired. So I've got
5: two game designers
0: and two brand folk in the podcast at the moment. So what comes first? Like, we've got a board game, and we want it to be in the Temple of Elemental Evil? Or, hey, we know our campaign storyline is going to involve the Elemental Evil, and we would like you to position the board game in that arena if we can.
6: It's a little different for every game. Every game and every product is a little unique.
1: But we, we do, now, we know what our storylines are yeah. very far out, so more and more like the products are fitting into sure. like, what's going to be a good play experience. How are people going to be able to experience that storyline? Yeah. Like, what are the different, different I've, I've, ways they can engage?
3: I've also seen you guys come up with a cool idea and then backburn it for a while, and then pull it out and put yeah. it in uh, a new story game or whatever. So I know, I know, yeah. I know I've know, I seen you guys do that. Be like, this will be a great fit for X. But right. it's something you've already worked on and something you've already had. And actually, the uh, the new system in Temple
6: of Elemental Evil, the traps, are a perfect example th- for that. Uh, Peter and I did some exploratory design on uh, another adventure system game a year ago of which traps were very uh, important. That was going to be one of our big new mechanics, uh, and we had actually created uh, the entire game. We had another adventure system game built, um, and it didn't it didn't move anywhere. Uh, Might have been because it was not tied to the story. Might have been for other reasons, uh, but we designed it. It was ready to go, uh, and it didn't see the light of day, but when we started working on Temple of Elemental Evil, the trap system was perfect, so Pete and Ben just integrated it
3: awesome. So I want to get back to one thing for Ben, because I don't, I don't know that he said this. But Ben, was this your first tabletop game design credit for this game?
5: Um, this was my first analog game. I am listed on the uh, credits for 5th edition, and I did do some contribution and uh, testing and feedback on that. But this is the first uh, analog game that I helped design from the ground up.
3: So you're going to buy, like, 40 copies and give them to all your friends and family and, no. and like, keep a few? and no, they <laughs> got to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. they, no. they, they got to pay, pay my it. paycheck, yeah. pay everybody. <laughs> so we, no. we
0: talked a bit about your design on the, the game, and Chris, you came in as developer for yeah. the game. Now, how does that role differ?
6: So a, a developer is, in a sense, a designer. Uh, their job, instead of being sort of blue sky and what can we make this system, it's Uh, designing the game within the constraints of targets, uh, within the constraints of balance, and within the constraints of fun. Because in the end, you want a fun game. And a developer is uh, great to come in uh, halfway to two-thirds through uh, the product cycle and uh, look at the game with a fresh eye and be able to uh, make the hard decisions that a designer might not be willing to do since they're so close to that design. Oh,
1: you're the dream killer. I
6: am the dream killer. We talk about Mm -hmm. those people all the time.
3: Usually they're lawyers. Sorry, yeah. lawyers.
6: Oh, I thought you were going in another direction. You looked nope. at Shelly nope. so
3: hard. Oh no, we, we come up with lots of cool stuff too.
1: Our dreams have been killed. Our dreams too, have been killed. Know. Just we, so you guys did they know, kill dreams up here. Yes. Oh,
0: yeah. I thought this is just where dreams came to die. Oh, it's yeah. a
1: one man dream killing team.
0: Oh wow. Yep. You know, on that note, I did want to ask because I always love the story of the thousand filaments that don't work before you find the one that does work in the light bulb. Were there dream <laughs> that you did kill, or mechanics that you maybe pursued that didn't quite come together in the way that you thought, or are just wild other ideas? there
1: that are sitting quietly, waiting for their turn? Because you're gonna like you pulled out the traps for this one. Maybe there's something.
0: Oh,
6: there's totally something oh, yes. from the uh, from the last Adventure System game design that we did that I would love to put in another one later. I'm not gonna mention which. Which we won't talk about. No. For. As, as, well, as someone grabs duct tape and puts it over my <laughs> yeah. mouth. Um, but yeah, there, there are always, we actually have a prototype cabinet full of games that we've designed that just haven't seen the light of day, and as new concepts come out for new stories or new designs need that little extra something, it's uh, an area that we can always jump back to and say, hey, remember how we worked on this four years ago, and now it's perfect.
3: Well, so we've mentioned adventure-style games a few times. Do you guys want to give us a little bit of information on what we mean? Like, we all know, and I see a lot of our, our listeners know, but there's got to be some people out there who don't. So you guys want to give us a primer on what we mean when we say adventure system games? Uh, sure. Uh, the adventure
6: system games are a line of board games that... We first released, I want to say, in 2009. 2008, 2009. With Castle Ravenloft. Uh, And it is an expandable uh, randomized game system where uh, you are playing through story elements, but you are drawing both tiles and cards from a randomized deck. Uh, so that every time you play, it's a, it's a different experience. So there's a basic story going on with each adventure, and you kind of preset certain decks based on the story. Uh, but each time you play, you flip over a tile, and you build the dungeon as you go, encountering uh, monsters and traps and uh, different environments along the way.
0: Yeah, if you're familiar with uh, Betrayal and House on the Hill, I-, I love that style. If it's not just a static board, you're going to be building it uniquely every time. Mm-hmm.
1: And you can integrate them together, yes. which I th- always thought was one of the coolest features because it's just endless play opportunities. Legend of Dritz and the you know Wrath of Shardalon or Castle Ravenloft—they can all just
6: yeah. Each each game is is their own standalone game, but you can absolutely mix and match. And I've seen a ton of people on Board Game Geek make these epic piles yeah. of dungeon tiles to kind of create this massive sprawling dungeon.
1: And you can just you can play with one person too, which is also yep a pretty cool feature.
6: Uh, they are
3: one to five player games. One to five.
1: One to four. So. One to it, five. One to, <laughs> <three years
3: there? laughs>
1: one to five. One
3: to five. Again, he play tested until he was no longer
1: <laughs> anything,
5: but nothing but a shell of the man we once knew.
1: So Ben, you went to school, did you, mm-hmm. For game design. Uh,
5: originally, I was in there for uh, computer science. Game design degree didn't exist when I uh, enrolled until about two years in, mm-hmm. uh, and then I changed majors over. So, to a uh, bachelor of game design and game design science, or P S G D. yeah. So, yeah, uh, minor programming, uh, and then with a focus on game design and minor art, because...
1: Cool. Game um, design is a college major. I know, yeah. right? Yeah. Who knew?
5: But, I mean, I'm he, jealous.
1: I know. Like, you guys, probably for a lot of people who are, are listening, this being a game designer is... A dream job? So,
6: <laughs> to us, too. Yeah. I
1: mean, I've, I do feel like that. We, we, A lot of us working here probably feel like they are living their dream job. Mm. But how, what advice do you have for a game design or a, a, an aspiring game designer? And how, how did you come into this yourselves? Go
5: ahead.
6: Okay. Um, well... As you mentioned, I worked at uh, Hasbro before in customer service, uh, but it's interesting in that uh, I didn't get into Hasbro looking towards games. Uh, I was actually working as an EMT, and I thought I was <gasps> applying for a job what? at the children's hospital.
1: Wait a minute. Yeah. Wait, so. you were an EMT? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wonder was a... I always feel calm and safe <laughs> in your presence. Aw,
0: that's I didn't nice. know that. Shouldn't it be the opposite?
1: No, he can no, save no, me. He can save the
6: day. It's fine. No, yeah.
0: there's, a, you know, some, an emergency. some emergency situations going on.
6: Wow,
1: okay. <laughs> so sure. I thought
6: I was applying for the children's hospital, and I realized as I pulled up to the building that this was not like an annex building or anything. Uh, but when I started working at customer service, uh, I realized I had an affinity for game rules. Um, so I moved on from kind of answering game rule questions to speaking to some of the de- designers at Milton Bradley. From there, I moved on to play testing with them, and uh-huh. from there, I moved on to developing for them. Uh, and from there, I moved on to freelance game design. So I kind of just took these steps along the way as I went further and further towards my goals, uh, eventually moving on to freelance game design, which is the most terrifying of all things, uh, until a job opened up here at Wizards of the Coast.
1: So did you have your eye on wizards, waiting for something to open, or just you were happy doing your freelance and then...
6: Oh, no, I, because Wizards is a subsidiary of Hasbro, it was always uh, it was always on my target. Yeah. Uh, I had actually applied to Wizards, I want to say, in October or November of 2010, and I didn't, didn't get a call back until March. I had forgotten I had applied.
1: <laughs> so
3: when I got the call, I was like, why are you
6: calling
1: me? <laughs> like, this is
3: exciting, but what's going we, on? We would like to collect all your older edition D&D books, because apparently that's what we do. Once We, we, we have to kill all the older edition books. Sorry, just so you know.
1: <clears throat> what was the job you you applied for? It was it was my was it job. It was it game was the game designer job. Oh, nice. It just
3: took a long time.
1: That was a big move for you. It you was came all the way across the country.
6: Yeah, hey, you know, dream job.
1: Yeah, you didn't have you didn't have your daughter at this point.
6: No, I did not have my daughter, but I did have my wife. And yes. when we stepped off the plane here in Seattle, it was the first time she'd been to Washington. So she's kind of an adventurer.
1: Good.
3: <laughs> so advice wise, would you say go the freelance route until you don't have to? (laughs)
6: Well, the thing is, with game design, I mean, everyone's looking for experienced game designers, so making your own games uh, is the first step. Um, Whether it's just a quick card game that you cut out of paper or whether it's a full-fledged thing you're trying to push on Kickstarter, um, keep making new designs, keep trying new things, don't be afraid to take chances. And from there, just try to make contacts in the industry and... uh, Honestly, work for free to start. Offer yourself as a playtester, and that's the
3: best way to, to get in contact with people.
1: That is good
5: advice.
3: I'm gonna guess Ben's story is a little bit different since he was already out here.
5: No, I, I was an EMT. <laughs> graduated from you talked about this before? Because <laughs> you're a really quiet guy. The game to play.
1: Designers had like, theater backgrounds. I didn't know about the EMT background.
5: Yeah, there's a, there's a big uh, subculture of us. Um,
1: <laughs> gotta blow off steam, man.
5: Yeah. Uh, and save lives and <laughs>
3: yeah cause that's how you blow off steam yep. um, uh, uh,
5: when I was in DigiPen uh, this is gonna be this is gonna sound like I cheated cause I kinda did <laughs> um, when I was in DigiPen a worker uh, at Wizards of the Coast was a teacher and so I had one of his classes I didn't know he worked here and um, he basically took uh, a liking and let me know that there was a position open here. Uh, so I applied uh, around the year I graduated, just you know, a little bit before the last semester. And after a while, here, here's where I mean, Chris's story synced up. After a while, I finally get a call back, and then I, at which point I completely forgot. <laughs> um this is not indicative of how long and, it takes and, us to get back
3: here.
6: I promise. I think they're getting better. They got better.
5: <laughs> yeah, they got better. They got better. There was there were reasons. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so uh, soon afterwards, though, uh, I had my, I had interviews and, and I got the job uh, and I was first a contract for an assistant game, uh, game designer uh, and then at the end of the year uh, I was made full time. So. Um, My advice is that, one, you need to make things. You need to have a portfolio. At this point in this day and age, you have paper prototypes. You have engines that you can use to prototype game ideas on for free. Um, There's no reason to not be able to show something to someone. And the other is network like crazy. Don't burn... Any branches, we are a pretty tight-knit community. Um, sometimes we become people become teachers or advisors for another company or job or position or another location, and whatever networking or impact you have on that person kind of carries across the country. So always, always be cool to every person you come across in this industry, no matter what.
3: Which is good life
0: learnings
5: anyway. Yeah. So going back to Temple
0: of Elemental Evil a little bit more specifically, we kind of talked a a bit about the trap functionality. That's one of the new features going into the game compared to other Adventure System games. What else sets Temple of Elemental Evil apart aside from, you know, the the story and and the setting and the traps?
6: Sure. Um, I'll lob this one up for you. Uh, One of the the biggest things in Temple of Elemental Evil is one of the things that I'm proudest of because I helped to kind of balance it down, and that was a lot of what my work was, uh, is the campaign mode. Uh, and previously in the uh, Legend of Dritz series, they, we played with the idea of a basic set of cards, uh, excuse me, in the Legends of Dritz uh, adventure system game, uh, we played with the idea of a basic set of cards and an advanced set of cards. Uh, and. Once you'd played through the game and you felt comfortable with the system, you could add the advanced cards in. We're taking it to the next level here where the advanced cards are instead added to the other decks uh, based on how you and your group do in the adventure. So as you go through each story, the decks change as your story has changed uh so you are collecting gold you're collecting things and uh there are new monsters to encounter there's new traps to encounter there's new encounters for you uh based on how you've done on previous
3: adventures i think there's something else ben's going to talk about from the look that you're giving ben you would like him to talk about something else
5: well, no 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 okay oh. oh you're looking? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, yeah, when, when we started development for Elemental Evil, one of the strong visions uh, that we had, uh, especially Peter, uh, so I'll talk for him because he's not here <laughs> uh, and can't stop me. <laughs> was, um, he, he, really, he really wanted uh, to add a reason to come back to the table, uh, a, a sense of having the feeling to play one more game, uh, persistence, as it were, And that's where the campaign system started. And it went through quite a lot of iterations of what that meant. Things like how do you show and keep track of how your characters change over time. Uh, Ideas with stickers and permanent markers were thrown around. So we settled on the token system that's in the game. And uh, the other he had was that he wanted to uh, use the double-sided tiles for something. Uh, in the Legend of, game, uh, m- most of the game, most villain tiles were basically just on the sort of uh, regular 2x2 card size uh, tiles, which left the bigger, uh, longer tiles uh, open. So what we did in Elemental Evil is that half of them on one side they are used for the elemental node rooms on the other side. They are a whole town structure. So when you get to certain quests during the campaign, you actually take all of those tiles in the start tile and flip them over and you put them together to make uh, uh, the entirety of Red Larch a uh, town where you do town quests, which is a pretty big departure for the game because usually you're not in a completely different location. So now you have these subs, uh, string of quests where you're actually going through the dungeon, going through the temple. And then when, uh, you take a break and you're doing a quest in Red Larch.
6: Yeah, I, I really enjoy the uh, the village adventures because they're a nice break from the uh, from going through the dungeon. And I I feel like it creates good story moments where you know you take care of one part of the elemental one of the elemental cults, and then you have to run back to town and deal with the threat, and then you go back through the dungeon, and then you have to run back to town. So there's this there's this feeling of progression as you move through the
3: adventure book. Yeah, it feels a lot like a like a tabletop D and D campaign. Yeah, like when you when you go from one step to the other, right. it feels like okay, back to town, do your stuff. Oh, there's this thing in town I have to deal with, and then. Go Once work. that settles down, you still have to go back to the dungeon and do the dungeon stuff. It feels very much like a tabletop game in that, in that respect.
0: I, I'm, a, I'm a glad advocate for the Adventure System games. I like them very much. We've got the ongoing campaign going on at lunch now. And I was going to say the two reasons, if, if any listeners haven't played it before, uh, number one, it does feel like if you want to get your D&D in and you've got maybe 30 minutes, this is a great way to do it. And it, it feels like a D&D dungeon crawl. Yeah, that's uh, good. Excellent point, (laughs) Carol. And then the second was, and this happens almost every game, every game there is sort of that impending sense that we're not going to make it Mm -hmm. because of the way that the game works. (laughs) There's always another monster. There's always another encounter and it just feels like you can't do it. And then at the end if you're good and lucky sometimes you pull it off and it does have that sense of accomplishment to it
6: yeah when we were when we were playtesting over and over and over again there <laughs> seemed to be this one monster that really liked to eat
0: ben and
5: that was oh, the firebat
6: fire. the firebat loves The firebat just kept coming back
5: it was really the only one game
6: so <laughs> the firebats
5: are ranged uh, attackers right no, no. oh they're no, not? not but they're, they can move pretty far okay. and with, uh, and you can see this if you go to boardgamegeeks.com and see the d- uh, designer diaries by Peter Lee and <laughs> I. Uh, one of the themes that we integrated into Elemental Evil, we really wanted to make a overarching story that kind of tied in with the entire campaign and the Elemental Evil storyline was that there is a sort of theme of, of trust and betrayal. And... There are a lot of moments in that game, especially when you start pulling encounter cards, where you kind of have to decide who takes the bullet, and <laughs> in, in the party, and that can lead to actually a fair amount of interesting tension. Uh, not, not, not. Terrible tension, <laughs> right? But interesting tension because it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean it goes south immediately. Some awkward moments of angry stares across yeah, the table. So yeah. Yeah. You, just
3: suck, you just sick that, that monster on me? Okay. But yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I got this treasure, treasure, so it's yeah.
0: fine. <laughs> well, right. Even the mechanics of the doppelganger work well into that where it's just a simple placement mechanics but suddenly the doppelganger was you and you are back at the start tile yeah. and it just yeah. fits so cleanly and well into that story. Yeah, that line. is
6: one of my favorite monsters uh, from the game. The way the mechanic works is when you when you flip over the doppelganger monster, uh, you replace your mini with the doppelganger. So if you were next to a friend, suddenly the doppelganger is next to your friend. Uh, and you go back to the start tile. Um, and then immediately the doppelganger attacks Fold your you. friend. On earth,
1: the deception.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and I will say one of the things that I think is cool. So This is my favorite adventure game so far. Um... But I would also point out, you don't have to go back and like play the previous ones to play this one. You can just pick this one up and play it and learn it just like you could any of the others. So I would advise just going out, playing it maybe at a store, where you, your local store, they might have cracked one open already. Um, it is it
0: is a super, super fun game. So clearly you guys love games, love board games in particular. And as much as we love the Adventure System game, we did also kind of want to ask, what other, if you had three other board games maybe that you're playing or have played recently that you enjoyed or Caught your interest. What, what might those have been? Three, huh? Uh,
6: let's Four see. One. I don't see two. this on the list. I think, yeah, we, I I think we're, we're, list we're totally list. We totally host yeah, them the again. We we're just going cry. off <laughs> script, aren't we? Uh, well, I, uh, as, as Shelley alluded to earlier, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old at home, so I don't get out to play board games nearly as much as I would like to, uh, but I do tend to play two-player games with my wife, uh, and one that we particularly enjoy is uh, Lost Cities, uh, which I believe is a Reiner Knitzia game, and uh, it's a two-player card game where you're exploring and going on different adventures and trying to collect uh, points, and it's a lot of fun.
3: I think we'll limit it to one. We'll make this easier. All right. (laughs) We're going to do one game.
5: Oh, oh, that's really easy. Lords of Waterdeep out uh, (laughs) now at your local game store. (laughs) That's our company, man. (laughs) All right, so you're promoted. (laughs) You're fired.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Not again.
0: No, I I guess I had that on top of my mind, obviously because board game designers, but uh, it was board game night here last night, Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the benefits of that is just being able to just break out a random board game and seeing how the different mechanics work.
3: Do you have another game that's not one
5: of Ours been so oh, people don't yeah. think we're just shills. I yeah. mean, we are shills, but uh, I also uh, I've been playing Ticket to Ride. Oh, recently, I love Ticket to Ride. So. Shelly's There's terrible at Ticket to Ride.
1: I am undefeated in our household. Nice.
3: <laughs> so, wait, how, old, how
0: old's Quinn? I don't think it counts. You can't be like,
1: <laughs> I have not. <laughs> I played with him yet.
0: Quinn, Quinn's old enough to play Ticket to Poop.
3: Ah, <laughs> uh, good times. That's, that's about it.
0: Yeah, uh, so. Before we let you guys go back to the uh, depths of R&D, is there a place that folks can find you online if they wanted to follow uh, your rantings and ravings? See what
1: you're working on.
0: Sure. Uh,
6: I'm on Twitter and Facebook. My Twitter handle is at Game Guru Chris, and you can
5: search for my page on Facebook. The hubris of that Twitter. What? Nothing. I'm just <laughs> on Facebook. I don't, I don't even have Twitter yet. Are you, you it on that. Facebook? I thought you were a ghost online. Well, I mean, you know, I haunt things. But yeah, no, I have a Facebook page. Just snail okay, mail. But you're not his friend, so. Uh, yeah, you're not my friend. Yeah.
1: yeah, I'm not. This is news yeah. to me. Wow.
3: <laughs> Two cubes over,
1: and I, I didn't even know. I, I have one uh, more you're question. EMT. <laughs>
5: yeah, we all seriously? learned something yeah. today. See?
1: This is why we should all do podcasts together more often. This is true. Um, I have a question for you, Chris. Okay. This is not also on the, the script. Uh oh. Um, but it's come up before, and I have to know the answer. Okay. I hope it's not going to make you cry or anything. <laughs> I'm getting a little this. bit more nervous. Why is your nickname Boots? Yeah. Because <laughs> I kind of feel like that would be a good nickname for me. Yeah, yeah, let's tell the world... What yeah. do you
3: know? The answer, Trevor. No, but I'm just I'm just hoping it's 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 like kid friendly and like okay for us to put it on on the air. Yeah, why are you is. Why are you boots, why sir? My
6: boots. Okay, why so uh, let's roll back about two months ago. Uh, yeah. two I was ago. I was training for a five k because apparently that's a thing that I did, um, <laughs> and uh, and I hurt my foot because uh, oh. of a bunch of reasons put together. Apparently, there's a certain way you're supposed to run, and my mad flailing is not one of them.
1: Who says?
6: <laughs> my leg
1: says.
6: <laughs> uh, and uh, I didn't have good shoes, and I stopped running on the treadmill, and I started running on the road, because that's what you do at a 5K. So right. when all those things put together, I uh, had a stress fracture in my leg, so I started wearing this weird, unwieldy boot for... Uh, I think it was about two hours before someone called me boots down in R&D, oh. and all of a sudden it just spread like wildfire.
1: It did. I mean, I've it seen it come up in emails. In fact, I was talking to Ben the other day. He said, blah, 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 Chris, uh, I mean, boots. I mean, like, he boots. even, like, stopped calling you by your real name. Well, well a, and part, a of the interesting
6: problem, interesting part of the problem for is reason for that. in R&D, <laughs> there's three Chrises. Yeah. There's Chris Perkins, Chris Youngs, and myself. So when people start, when, whenever someone walks around and says Chris, all three of us will turn around. Oh, so well. all of a sudden, when there's an alternative name to call someone by, you
1: just jump on
6: it. Y- I, you jump on it because you don't have to turn around all the time.
0: So it's a horrible story. So thanks for bringing up that painful yeah. memory, Shelley.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know. I, that's not what I. What I, I wasn't surprised.
0: <laughs> you know, you don't have to wait for a podcast to ask me questions, Shelley.
1: Yeah. Well, I wanted it to be. Like, so this is this is actually how, how we start asking like, these get questions. You off guard. So we
3: actually we actually need to come up with nicknames for everybody in the office now. I want everybody I want,
1: named Chris or Matt. No, I mean just like should. like
3: I want a nickname for you and
0: Bart. Go on.
3: Bart can be like Mister Poopy Pants, I guess. Uh,
0: there's not that many other Barts. Well, I, aren't they? I, <laughs> I still want using, nicknames wait, wait, for everybody.
6: Wait,
3: wait, if, <laughs> if using online
6: rela- or TV relationship logic, oh, no. aren't they like Casanova or something? No, our
1: celebrity couple names is awful. Let's
0: Shelley Bart Shart.
6: All right. Well, you went there. Yeah,
3: I thought you were supposed to do last names. (laughs) That was that was awesome.
1: Um, Maza Carroll.
3: Me and my wife are McKid. We've already figured that one out. Last name,
1: but
0: I don't I don't know what our first names would be. So that's just cool. That's not that's not. We're actually probably going to change legally
3: change our last names to that at some point, but (laughs) we'll get there.
0: Well, on that note,
3: (laughs) on that note, because you didn't come here to talk about designers or board (laughs) games, but
1: we'll work on the nickname thing, but. It was, it's cool to have you guys here, though, because, I mean, Temple of Elemental Evil is, is getting some great reviews. People are really excited about it. Oh, it is?
5: Oh, thank God. You need to get out more. <laughs> I didn't look. I didn't want to look.
1: <laughs> yes, people
5: really like it. I was worried. It's Good on the job, hot then. list. I did, uh, did work. Yeah,
3: people, people love it.
6: Yeah, we're, we're really excited to see it come out. It's, uh, I, it's been a great partnership with WizKids, and uh, we are uh, excited to, uh, to see it in everyone's hands.
0: Great. Well, thank you for your time today, and uh, let's have you back soon to talk a little bit more board games. Absolutely.
5: Yeah. See you guys. Right. Thank you. Bye.
0: As always, thanks for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Temple of Elemental Evil is available now at your friendly local gaming store. And look for the Fantasy Grounds virtual table at fantasygrounds.com. Of course, you can download the Dungeons & Dragons podcast from the D&D website under the media section or subscribe directly from iTunes.